This last week was exciting for the people in the Alliance ministry because there was two different weddings of people that were in the singles ministry. It was pretty cool. Um, and because of that, I was going to different weddings this week, one on Friday, one on Saturday, went to one last night, and I heard a funny story that happened. Uh, two of my other friends who showed up for that wedding went to the wrong wedding. They showed up to the place that we were having the wedding. It was at the Elisa Viejo Ranch, and you know, it's a cool wedding venue. It's right down the street, right next to um, Elisa Viejo Middle School, and Two of my friends show up there, they walk up to a group of people that look like they're having a wedding, they take their seats, and they don't realize they're at the wrong wedding until the bridal party starts walking down the aisle, and they try to get up, and the wedding coordinator says, no, 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 take your seat, take your seat. So these people sat through the beginning of the wrong wedding and missed the beginning of the wedding they were supposed to go to. So it was uh, funny. I'm like, dude, what happened? Because, you know, afterwards, I see the people who were late, like Anthony, standing in the back. Uh, but it wasn't Anthony. Anthony did not go to the wrong wedding. Uh, but then I, two of my friends, they said, yeah, we, we just went to the wrong wedding. Like, how did that happen? Weren't there signs? It's like, yeah, Dan and Christina's wedding, like, that's, that's not the right people. You're supposed to go to Jordan and Allison's wedding. You weren't supposed to go to Dan and Christina's wedding. What happened? I'm like, did you not see the signs? Like, we saw the signs, but I, I didn't really read them. I just kind of went with the flow, just kind of showed up, and all of a sudden, they sit down in the wrong wedding. And worse than that, they had their card that they gave. They put their card in the big box for the other people. <laughs> They had to ask the wedding coordinator, I'm so sorry, we went to the wrong wedding. And the wedding coordinator like opened the, the steel box or whatever and took out their card, gave it back to them. And I heard all this. I didn't know, but I heard all this at the end of the wedding. Um, I'm like, that's hilarious. So they missed half of our friend's wedding, but it's okay. Um, not a big consequence, I, I guess. But it could have been a lot worse. And that's what happens when you ignore the signs of anything. It, your consequences could be a lot worse. Uh, the worse the signs are, the more danger you could be in. And in fact, um, it could be a serious problem if you keep ignoring warning after warning, sign after sign. You could be in some big problems, and you could have a lot of regret. Now, my friends only regret a little bit about what happened because it's a pretty funny story. But there are some things in life that if we don't heed the warnings early on, there's massive regret that takes place later on in our lives. And that's what we find in the book of Proverbs, as this book is meant to give young people wisdom. The reality is that many people will not heed the wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is honest about that. It says, hey, there's going to be people who get warned and warned and warned. They get truth after truth after truth, yet they will not listen. And the book of Proverbs says they are going to deeply regret their decision to not heed the wisdom of God and to not read the signs and to not do what God has to say. And my goal today is to look at this passage in Proverbs chapter 1 where wisdom calls out and warns people, do not end up like a person who ignores all the warnings. Please don't end up that way. Because for you, as a student in high school who's hearing this message and this set of messages from the book of Proverbs, I want you to heed the wisdom. I don't want you to be a person who is filled with regret at the end of their life because they look back and they say, I didn't listen to the warnings when I was in high school. So grab a Bible and let's look together at Proverbs chapter 1. Let's check this out together. Proverbs 1, we study those first seven verses. We're going to jump around a little bit as we study this book together this summer, but we're going to skip a little section, verses 8 to 19, that's all about this father warning this son. It says, if sinners entice you and say, hey, come follow us, come do what we do, if sinners come and entice you and try to get you to sin along with them, he says, don't listen, don't consent. So verses 8 all the way to 19 are all about that. And then in verse 20 starts the section we're going to study today together, 
which is all about whether or not we listen and heed the wisdom, or if we're going to be a person at the end of our life who looks back with a lot of regret for the mistakes that we made that we could have avoided. Look at verse 20. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. So just remember, what kind of genre of literature are we reading? We're not reading a narrative where the Bible authors are telling a story of what happened. We're not reading a didactic section where he's saying, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Some of the Proverbs is like that. But this is figurative language to describe how wisdom, the wisdom of God, acts in the world. It's like someone standing on the street corner and yelling and holding up signs at every car that passes by. He's going to use figurative language to say that's what wisdom's like. It cries aloud in the street. The street was a place where everybody went. So it says this is available to everybody. In the markets, she raises her voice. So in this book of Proverbs, in the first nine chapters, we're going to see two figurative characters introduced to us. One of them, some people call Lady Wisdom. So it's a a woman personified as wisdom trying to get people to follow her. And then there's another lady called Lady Folly who's trying to get people to follow her. So there's these two women, so to speak. They're not actual women, but it's a descriptive title. It's a figurative language to talk about how wisdom and folly try to attract you to join their side. And what this says is lady wisdom, like wisdom personified as a woman, she cries out. I mean, this is not something that women would usually do, cry out on the streets. So whatever her message is, it's urgent and it's for everybody. Verse 21 says, at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. The author of Proverbs is trying to say, wisdom is available to everyone. And it's trying to get everyone's attention. That includes you. If you personalize this, what this is trying to say is, God and his wisdom are not only available to you, they're constantly being thrown at you, and you need to listen. Look at what wisdom says. Lady Wisdom, verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Remember that word from last time? Simple means not the like, stupid person and not the foolish person, but also not the wise person. It's the naive person. So wisdom is basically saying, hey, if you're naive, how long do you want to stay naive? The implication is you should stop wanting to stay naive. Stop being simple. So she says, how long will you love being simple? And then she shifts her attention away from the simple people, which we think the audience is simple. Because he says, you, simple, you, simple. And then she talks about a different group of people. She says, how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. Scoffer is a term we haven't run into in the book of Proverbs until this verse. What scoffers do are people who hear the truth, who sit in sermons, who listen, but they laugh. They think it's funny. They're like, oh, how stupid. I can't believe it's Oh, that's so dumb. Scoffers hear God's message and laugh at it. So if you think that you've invented that, you're not the first to do that, right? Scoffers is a whole category in the book of Psalms and Proverbs about people who hear God's truth and they laugh at God's truth and they laugh at God's people who are actually doing God's truth. So scoffers, she says, how long will they keep laughing? How long will fools hate knowledge? So fools, remember, those are the people that make the decision. I'm going down my own sinful path. Fools are not The people like the simple who just don't know better. Fools are the people who hear wisdom and reject it, who say, no, I won't listen. So she asks this question, how long will they go on doing their sin? In verse 23, she says, if you, who's the you? You is the simple people. So he says, hey, simple people, how long will you be simple? If you turn at my reproof. 
Behold, I'll pour my spirit upon you. I'll make my words known to you. The idea is wisdom is basically calling out to you today in this sermon to say, if you make the choice, I will pursue wisdom. God's promise is wisdom will be lavished upon you. You won't just get a little bit of wisdom. You'll get a lot of wisdom. It's not like, oh, I'll pursue this and maybe one day I'll be wise. The idea is you pursue wisdom, God will make sure wisdom hits you in the face all the time. If you make it your aim, if you make it your focus and goal. I even love the word she uses. She says, if you turn at my reproof. That word turn is the Hebrew word shub. And it's, you know, it's our only Hebrew word today, shub. That word means repent or turn. It's the same word. It's used all the time in the Old Testament to talk about people returning from a journey or coming back to where they came from. But it's also used in the prophets to say, you need to turn back to God. And she uses this word to say, you need to turn away from foolishness, simplicity, your own sin, and turn to wisdom, turn to God. Verse 24 gives us the big reason why. She says, because I've called and you refuse to listen. So what does that mean? That means wisdom has been made available to some people, and some people choose to reject wisdom. They hear the truth of the gospel. Maybe they grow up in church. Maybe they have a Christian friend who's constantly trying to give them the truth. But this lady says, to the people that have heard the truth and push it away and refuse to listen. She says, I've stretched out my hand, but you haven't heeded. It's like, you know, I, I gave you a high five and you, you left me hanging, right? I tried to pull you up out of some issue, but you said, I don't want wisdom. She says, because you ignored all my counsel. I gave you advice. You knew the right thing to do, but you didn't do it. She says, and you would have none of my reproof. You were unwilling to be teachable. You said, I won't be corrected. I'm right about this. God's word isn't right about that. No, 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 no. God's leader that he placed in my life isn't right about this. The pastor that God gave me, he's not right about this. My parents aren't right about this. I'm right about this. She says, because you ignored all my counsel and it would not have any of my reproofs. Wisdom says, I also will laugh at your calamity. So it says, okay, you, you, you sat in youth group and you scoffed and you laughed. If I was a scoffer, wisdom says one day wisdom will laugh at you. There's going to be this like reversal. We see it all the time in the book of Proverbs. So people that want to be rich, they exploit people. And God says, I'm going to return that on your head. The laughing that's done at God will all be turned to laughing at the people who laughed at God. God says, I'll laugh at you. Even in Psalm chapter 2, he says, there's all these people that rebel against me and want to go against me. But it says, he who sits in heaven laughs. Or, or older versions say, he holds them in derision. So it's like, God's got them at arm's length, and he's like, oh yeah, that's really cute. It's like when the little, you know, kids try to beat you up, right? The little, you know, if Judah or, you know, Micah or Eden or one of our little True North babies, if they come up and just start trying to punch you and punch you and punch you, you just like, <laughs> okay, right? And you just kind of laugh at them, right? It's funny, it's cute. Like, what if they got really mad and were really trying to punch you? I don't care if you're the smallest freshman in the room. You can take these kids. Like, it's just like, hey, okay, just kind of stick your foot out, right? Like, you can overpower them. It, it's a laughable thing. It makes us even chuckle. Here's, here's what God's word has to say. If you're a person who's fighting against God, or maybe worse, if you're a scoffer, and you hear God's truth, and you sit in small groups, and you're like, I can't believe these stupid Christian people talking about following God. And God. This is so dumb. This is so stupid. And there's all this scoffing going on. The Bible says, if you continue in that scoffing, and you don't turn to God and seek God and seek forgiveness and wisdom through him. It says wisdom, uh, wisdom will laugh at your calamity. 
Wisdom says in verse 26, I will mock when terror strikes you. Who's doing the mocking? Not Christian people. No, no, not them. Wisdom itself. So what does it mean for wisdom to mock you? I think here's at the bottom of what this means. It's like you're filled with so much regret because you knew you had the wisdom to not make that bad decision. Then you make that bad decision. And then you're sitting there experiencing the consequences of your bad decision. And it's like, I knew better. I knew better. I knew the truth. Why didn't I do it? Why didn't I listen? I think that's what it's like for wisdom to mock us when we choose to do wrong. In a bigger way, this is talking about the person who really pushes wisdom away altogether. That says, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't want to have anything to do with God's people. I don't want to have anything to do with church. It says, terror will strike you like a storm, verse 27. And your calamity will come like a whirlwind. This concept of judgment all throughout the Bible in the Old and New Testament, it's like wisdom, you know, wisdom says that uh, judgment happens fast. People are living like everything's cool, everything's okay, then all of a sudden, boom, 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 problem after problem, heartache after heartache, and it just feels like the, the bottom drops out. Terror, calamity, distress, anguish will come upon you. These are all big Bible words to talk about extreme sadness. It really talks about what we studied in our first sermon here this summer in Psalm 16, verse 4, which says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. It's that same truth, just expressed in a different passage. Look at verse 28. It says, then they will call upon me. Then they'll seek wisdom. There will come a time when people want wisdom. Even a person who rejects God's truth altogether There will come a time where you'll not even want to be doing the wrong thing anymore. You'll want to do what's right. And for some people, that comes far too late. Jesus tells a story about a rich man who went to hell, and it wasn't until he was in hell that he was seeking wisdom. He says, everyone's going to seek wisdom one day. Verse 28 says, then they will seek me diligently, but will not find me. There's going to come a time where the bottom's going to drop out in people's lives. They're going to seek wisdom, but it won't be found, even if it's in the next life. Why? Verse 29, because they hated knowledge. What's knowledge? And they did not choose to fear the Lord. Remember, knowledge, fear the Lord, those two things go together. So that's supposed to take us back to uh, chapter 1, verse 7, that we talked about last week. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So he says, why will wisdom laugh at these people? It's because they hated knowledge and they refused. They did not choose to fear the Lord. And they would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproofs. That's just a a repetition of verse 25. Verse 30 and verse 25 are the same verse. But now it's just in a different context. Look at verse 31. Wisdom says, therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way. And they shall have their fill of their own devices. The idea is their punishment for these people who chose to go against God, their punishment is they're going to get what they wanted. Isn't that interesting? that choosing to do the sinful things they wanted to do. God says, I'll let them have it. And guess what? They're going to hate it. They're going to have eating the fruit of their own way. You know, in the Bible, like fruit, that's an illustration used to talk about produce, right? Um, it's, it's the result of something, right? We, as Christians, want to bear good fruit. That means that we want to, you know, in our lives, display that God's in us, right? Eating the fruit of your own way just says, you're just going to get the consequence of your own actions. And you're going to be forced to live with it. It's like you, you made your bed, so you got to sleep in it, right? You, you made your choice, and once you make your choice and you, you do wrong, it's like, well, you're going to have to live with the consequences. 
They're going to have the fill of their own devices. Why? Verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away. I used that word shub before. That was from verse 23 where it says, if you turn at my reproof, it's funny, that same word is used here negatively. He says, because you were killed by your turning away. Turning away from sin? No. This is turning away from God. It's just another reversal. These simple people, why, are they, why, why do they have all this regret? Because they turned away from the truth. God was calling them to turn away from their sin, but they turned away from God. It's another reversal. And, verse 32, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Complacency means that they didn't do anything about it. Complacency is similar to laziness. It just uh, means they, they didn't do anything. So what hurt these people? What hurt these people? The fact that they didn't do anything about their instruction. It's not like they made some big decision like, I'm going to be a bad person now, right? And some of you think that way. Some of you think, well, the only way my life will turn out bad is if I decide, you know what, I'm just going to be an evil person. Most people don't decide that. But the complacency of fools will kill you. If you stay in your sin, you've like, you got to do something about it to not follow the way of folly. You've got to do something about it if you want to follow wisdom. You don't have to do anything about it to be a fool. You just keep living the way that you naturally want to live. But this says the complacency of fools kills them, destroys them. Verse 33, last verse here. But whoever listens to me, wisdom, will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Right? Like before, these people, they chose to not follow wisdom because they thought, I'll be safer doing what I want to do. This is another reversal. Like, okay, you thought that following your heart was the right way to happiness, but you didn't understand that in doing so, you were putting yourself in the most vulnerable situation. You thought before that following God would be dangerous for you and losing friends. I can't, I can't imagine losing friends. You didn't understand that at that time, you had wisdom offered to you. This is all looking backwards, almost like talking to an old person about bad decisions they made when they were young. Here's the nice thing. All of you, are at the stage of your life where you have an opportunity and you have these two ways before you. The path of life, the way of wisdom, and the way that seems right in your own eyes, right? the path of death. This option is available to you. That's why I love preaching this to you guys as opposed to preaching to the old people. If we preach this to the old people, it's kind of scary because it's like a lot of them have a lot of regret. A lot of them chose not the path of life. They chose to do what they wanted to do, and now they suffer the consequences. But you have the opportunity near the beginning of your life, to chart this course and say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do so I don't end up like this person who seeks wisdom on a day he can't find it, who seeks after her but won't do it. I guess my main thing that I'm trying to say that this text is trying to shout at us is we got to stop ignoring God's wisdom. If you're a person who hears God's wisdom, who hears it maybe presented through a sermon or maybe presented through a small group, maybe presented by your parents, and you find yourself saying, no, 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 I, I don't want to do that. I, I know the right thing to do, but I don't want to do the right thing. If, you, if you're one of those people, even if you feel like you're not one of those people, there's sometimes that even you Christians and you, you godly people, so to speak, that you do it too, it says if you ignore God's wisdom, there's some massive consequences to this. I want you to see the signs, and I want you to um, do the right thing for your own benefit. That's why in the book of Proverbs, you got two, uh, two points today. In the book of Proverbs, most of the time, there will be two points because there's two options. There's, there's life and death. There's wisdom and there's folly. 
It's doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing. It's pretty binary in that sense. There's two options in the book of Proverbs. So the first option is this, and here's what I want everyone to do. Point number one, I want you to listen to God's wisdom and enjoy security. That's what this text is saying. You listen to God's wisdom, you will enjoy a level of peace and security in your heart, in your life. If you just say, I'm, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. How does God want me to handle relationships? I'll, I'll, just, I'll do it that way. How does God want me to handle my money? I'll just, I'll just do it that way. What does God want me to do uh, for a job or for school? I, I just want to seek what that is, and then I just want to do it. And there's safety in doing what God wants you to do. Verses 20 and 21 describe this lady wisdom shouting, not in the corner of a house, but on a street corner, right? All the signs here are of somebody who's just trying to shout to get someone's attention. So the first sub point is, I just want you to write this down. Wisdom is available to everyone. That's what this text makes very clear. Wisdom is available to everyone. God's world makes that the case. Wisdom is available to you as you start growing up, once you start feeling pain, once you start, you know, getting up and, you know, like my daughter, my, my son, they're starting to roll around and do weird things. And, you know, she's learning wisdom simply by falling down. Just the way the world works. How you've got pain sensors that make you hurt when you do something dangerous. Just like, you know, you're going to throw up if you eat too much candy. All that simple stuff, right? God's world is just built to show you wisdom. It's everywhere. It's crying out for you to live wisely. But the problem is many of us don't want to do that. It's available to everybody. My wife and I find ourselves in the situation where we're always asking each other for gum. Like, do you have gum? Do you have gum? And we always joke about it. It's like, you know, we keep it in the perfect place in our house, right on the end table, right next to our front door, where every day or every time we go to church, whatever, we can always grab it, but it seems like we always forget to grab it. We've asked each other, like, in the last week, probably four or five times, do you have gum? Do you have gum? So it's, no, no, I forgot it. Oh, I, I forgot it too. It's like it was right there. It was available. That, that's kind of what wisdom is. It's like it's right on the top shelf. It's available for, for everybody, but the problem is you don't grab it now. You're going to need it later, and you're not going to have it. You're going to need it when you're making hard decisions about, you know, should I be dating this person or not? Should I be friends with this person or not? What should I say in this situation? And you're going to be searching for wisdom, but if you don't grab it ahead of time, it's not going to be ready when you need it. But here's the encouraging truth. It's available to all of you. It's available in God's world, but more importantly, it's available in his word. Fools are trying to entice this guy, but wisdom is trying to also entice this guy without a negative connotation, right? Positively. Uh, wisdom is calling out to you too. The world, as it says in Proverbs 1.10, where it says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. The idea is the world's trying to entice you, trying to get you to sin. <laughs> the Bible is too. God's wisdom is too. It's trying to get you to follow. And you got to make a choice which way you're going to go. Your conscience convicts you of sin. It's trying to point you towards God. Your parents often are trying to help you make good and godly decisions for your future. Your small group leaders are taking God's word and they're, they're praying for you and they're wanting to help you make good and godly decisions. Right? All of you have all these structures in place, right? Even these sermons, as simple as it might seem, the book of Proverbs is being presented to you week in, week out, trying to tell you and scream at you like, make a good decision. Do what's right. Do what's right. You got all these voices, good voices in your life, telling you, do what God wants you to do. Choose the path of life. But it's going to be up to you whether or not you do it. Cool thing is, it's available to you right now, so you need to take advantage of it. Choices are before you. It reminds me of Deuteronomy 30, where Moses says about the law of God, 
Don't say it's up in heaven and we can't get it. Don't say it's out of our reach. It's right before you because Moses just gave them the law. It's right in front of you. And he tells them, you need to choose life. You got two ways. You got the way of life and the way of death. Choose life. Do what's right. It's right in front of you. You don't have to go searching for it because it's right here. Same thing's true for you. You can be a person in this room who has God's word. You don't need to go search out and go out throughout the whole world and search for some truth external. You've got it right here. It's right in front of you. Choose to do what's right. In verse 22 and 23, she says, how long will you love being simple? If you turn, if you repent, if you turn at my reproof, then you're going to experience more and more wisdom. Here's the other thing about wisdom. Wisdom can change your life. That's, that's letter B. Wisdom can change your life. Some things you need to know, wisdom's available to everyone, and it can change your life. It can shub you, right? That means turn. It can, it can help you repent. It can move you from bad direction to a good direction. Just interesting how, even in this text, he says, to you, simple, but to them, scoffers. Like, when scholars look at this, they're like, this is very clear. The audience is not the people who are scoffing and who are foolish and who have chosen not to follow God. These are the people who are yet to make a decision whether or not they're going to stay simple and end up becoming a fool or if they're going to choose life and do the right thing. That's why I love it for, for our audience right now. It's like we're in this stage where you know, your life is not really decided ahead of you based on all your past actions. It's really going to be dependent on how you live in the next three, four, five years. That will shape the course of your life in a big way. You're like the person in verses 22 and 23 who can turn at the reproof of wisdom and see your life go in a great direction, or you can be a person that continues not turning and doing what they want. Proverbs 10, 17 was a passage we referenced last week, but I'd love for you to write it down again. It says, whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life. But if you're a person who's willing to be corrected by God's word, you're on the path of life. But he who rejects reproof leads others astray. That's Proverbs 10, 17. That word shub is used another time in Scripture. It's used in Isaiah 55, which it's a great passage. So this is hundreds of years later. The book of Isaiah is written. Isaiah 55, the first seven verses, really the first nine verses, are all about this call that God gives to people and says, you need to just turn. You, you need to stop living in your sin. You need to repent. It's a call to repentance, basically. It's a great passage. You're going to look at it in small groups this week at Beach Night. I'll read a little bit of it for you right now. Uh, Isaiah 55, 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? And labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligent to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. It's this poetic picture of saying, God has what you need, God has the truth in front of you, but you need to come and choose to, to take it. It's not expensive, you don't have to you know, pay, like it's, it's right there, it's grace, it's available to you. He goes on, verse number seven, or verse number six, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Then it says, let the wicked forsake his way. This is a repentance verse, this is Isaiah 55, seven. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, that he, may, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Right? Like that offer of salvation and grace in Christ is available to you. And I know you've heard that before, but some of you have never taken that seriously once. 
Maybe you felt bad about it when you were in the edge or in junior high. You felt peer pressure to become a Christian or something like that. You felt bad because other people were becoming Christians. And since then, it's like, eh, whatever. I'm just going to live my life. I want you to hear that God is constantly bringing that to your attention. The sooner you turn to God, the better. Some of you plan on turning to God when you're like 40 or, you know, 80 or whatever like that. Um, If you do that, I just want you to understand We don't know if you're going to turn to God because Proverbs 1 kind of says there's going to come a time where you seek wisdom and you can't find it anymore. You made your bed and you got to sleep in it. You made your choices and now you're going to live with the consequences. That's why right now it's always the day of salvation today. Not tomorrow, not later, but now. 2 Corinthians 6 says that same thing too. Today is the day of salvation. It's time to turn now. The last verse in our passage says, whoever listens to me, wisdom, will dwell secure. Let's write this down for wisdom as well. Let us see. Wisdom leads to true peace. That's an important thing to remember about wisdom. We need to listen. Why? Well, because it leads to true peace. It's available to everyone. It can change your life, right? It will shub your whole life. It'll turn it all around. And it's the only thing that leads to real peace. It's the only thing that leads to you not being anxious. It's the only thing. In chapter 14, verse 26, in the fear of the Lord... One has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. It's another poetic way of saying, okay, if you're a person that chooses to fear the Lord, what does it say? That's a strong confidence in life and in death. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that you can turn away from the snares of death. Right? A fountain back then is just such a big deal because water was hard to come by and there's no faucets and nothing like that. But fountain of water was like a faucet, a natural faucet. The idea is stay close to the fountain of life. Don't, I mean, travel, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, but don't get too far away from the fountain of life, the fountain of water. Same picture of fearing the Lord. Like, don't get far away from fearing the Lord. Don't think that you're going to go find it out there. Don't think that in your college experience or living your, you know, whatever sinful life, you're going to think, you're going to find it out there. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. The further away you get from it, the more you'll know you need to turn back. Even though how the book of Proverbs is presented, wise people use their money well, and they don't have it taken away because of some kind of illegal activity. That's presented in the book of Proverbs. Like, you use your money the way God wants you to use it, your money is more secure. Your livelihood is actually more secure if you don't spend your time becoming rich through injustice and all the things that the book of Proverbs says. People who are wise, their families don't fall apart because of some kind of sexual immorality that they choose. The book of Proverbs talks about that. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 are all about a young man choosing to not go and be sexually immoral, but to do what's right. People who are wise, their relationships don't get ruined because of some secret sin, but they have integrity. There's nothing to fear. They have a certain level of integrity. They're not, like, concerned. They're not always constantly staying up at night thinking, I know I've done all these wrong, because they did what's right. Wisdom is the only thing that leads to true peace. And fearing the Lord, there's so much peace. I mean, I quoted this to you earlier, too, but in Psalm 112, it's a great, that whole chapter, all about a person who trusts God and their heart is secure. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring, his children, will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. 
light dawns in the darkness on the upright, for he is gracious and merciful and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his business affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved, and he'll be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. His heart is steady. He'll not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. That's just a little picture of a person who fears God and does what's right. There's a security there. That's not a false security. It's true security. The problem is many people don't listen. This chapter is trying to push you. Hey, listen, listen. Everything that we read in Proverbs, just, just listen to it. That's why this comes early in the book. I'm glad it comes in the first chapter because he's going to give so much wisdom for us. And if you do ignore God's wisdom, just know you're ignoring God's wisdom at your own peril. That's point number two. Ignore God's wisdom at your own peril. Many of you will choose to ignore God's wisdom. just needs you to know that you're doing that at your own peril, your own danger. Your life is at stake with this, and many of you will choose to ignore, and you'll know better. That's the problem. Like, that's what Proverbs 1 is all about. Like Wisdom will mock you. It will laugh at you. What does that mean? It means you'll know better. You'll be like, man, I knew the truth. Someone told me not to do that. I, you know, My parents told me not to get in that relationship. My parents told me. I talked to my small group leader about it, and I ignored their counsel, and, and look what happened. Wisdom mocks when we reject it. Verses 24, 25, 26, 27, 28 are all about wisdom laughing at a person who chose to reject wisdom. You can write this down for letter A. I want you to avoid the regret of knowing better. I think that's the idea of wisdom laughing at you, that there's this regret that we feel when we knew the right thing to do and we didn't do it. You can avoid that by doing all that point number one had to say, and listening to God. If you ignore God's wisdom, you do it at your own peril. I, I mentioned that there's a man described in Luke 16 that Jesus tells this parable about who regretted his life. He's called a rich man in Luke 16. He lives his life, doesn't seem to be a really bad person. I mean, there's some things in the parable that we see he, maybe he didn't do the right thing every time, but he's not like a super evil person, but he was certainly not right with God. And it says in Luke 16 that this rich man went to hell, and even in hell, he's crying out for help. And in this weird scene, he looks to heaven, and he sees somebody who might be able to help him, and he says, hey, Abraham, can you help me? Can you, can you please give me some water or something? And Abraham says, no, I mean, made your choice. There's a great chasm fixed between me and you. And right after that, he says, well, can you please like go send someone back from the dead to warn my brothers? Because I don't want them to live a life of regret. I want them to be happy. I don't want them to be where I am. And Jesus says in that parable, they have Moses and the prophets. They have God's word. If they won't listen to the Bible, they're not going to listen, even if someone rises from the dead. Here's the point. That guy regretted and he knew better. And the implication in that passage is that he had Moses and the prophets. He went to Torah school when he was a little Jewish boy. He knew the truth, but he didn't do it. And he regretted it. I don't want you to end up like that. I want you to hear this sermon. And for some of you, I want you your whole life to turn. I want there to be a whole life repentance starting today. Because you're going to get serious about this. And you're not going to live a life full of regret. But you're going to do what God wants you to do. Don't ignore this whole point of this is there's not a second chance for people who make their decision and live their whole life 
choosing to reject God's wisdom. There's no second chance as promised. We see, in fact, many, many descriptions like the rich man of Lazarus, a guy who didn't get a second chance. He dies, and that's it. The Bible says that too. It is appointed for man to die once, then comes the judgment. There's no second chances. There's no cleansing process of purgatory where maybe you can get to heaven after you know, doing a bunch of good works. You've got to get right with God in this life or not at all. Back in the passage in Proverbs 1, verse 31 in particular, it says, Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. It's a very interesting concept that when people choose to reject God's wisdom, to reject the gospel of Christ, to say, I don't want to listen to God, they get what they wanted. It's very interesting. Because you'd think that God would maybe take away what they wanted. But this text says, no, no, no. They're going to get what they wanted. They're going to eat the fruit of their own way, and they're not going to like it. It's like they don't understand that the thing that they're choosing leads to death. Letter B, you can write this down. I want you to avoid the consequences of bad decisions. Like, you can avoid the consequences of bad decisions. If you don't believe this, and you don't believe me, and, and you choose to say, I, I just... I hate all this. I'm not going to listen. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Well, then the Bible's promising, and you can take this promise to the bank, that you'll eat the fruit of your own way. You might even get what you want. There's a pastor who preached on this and talked about how it's like the people who want to be famous. Like the worst thing that God could ever let you do is be famous. Some people want to be famous. And some of you, really deep down, that you want to be well-liked and famous. It's the worst thing that could happen to you. It will probably kill you. But what? You got what you wanted. You eat the fill of your own devices. That's the, that's the idea here. Sometimes God will give you what you want, and you'll think it was great, but then you'll realize it will not only not make you happy, it will also destroy you. There are people who really, really want to be rich. They want to be rich so badly, and then God says, great, I'll let you be rich. But that, that desire that started when you were 14, lusting after everything that the world has, saying, I want that, I want that, I want that, I think I deserve to be on that private jet, I want that car, I want that yacht, I want that thing. And that desire, when you were 13, 14, leads to death because you sought that with your whole life. And as Luke 12 says, you're like the rich fool who only sought money and never thought, I need to be rich towards God. I need to care about God. Some of you, think, man, if God will only give me that thing, some of you should be thankful that God hasn't given you that thing or riches or whatever. These people choose to not fear the Lord. Here's just some examples of how this works in the book of Proverbs. There's, there's a couple of verses in Proverbs that talk about this. Proverbs 22, 8 says, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. Sowing means putting seeds in the ground. Reaping means collecting the harvest. So you sow injustice, like you live unjustly with your life, you take advantage of people, you use people, you manipulate people to get to the top. You sow injustice, well, what will you reap? You'll reap calamity. Like your life will fall apart and the rod of his fury will fail. Like all the things you trusted in will fail. See how that works? Like the very act of climbing the ladder and getting what you want will be the thing that ends up killing you. That's the idea. You have the fill of your own way, and that's the thing that's going to hurt you. God uses our bad decisions to be the thing that bring us pain. That's just an odd concept, but it's all over the Bible. Proverbs 28, 22, listen to this. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. 
the stingy man, a person who's not generous, a person who's always looking after their own thing. It says that kind of person is always seeking wealth, but they don't realize that the thing that they're doing in God's world, how it naturally works itself out, is a person who's stingy and not generous and wanting what they want. Those are the people that are headed towards poverty. The Bible says the opposite about people who are generous. It's like they'll be richly supplied. God will take care of them. Proverbs 21.6, also talking about money. It says, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Like if you get your treasure or your money based off a lie, and plenty of people have done this. They've pretended to know things. They've pretended to, um, you know, create things. Like, you guys remember the fire festival? You know what that is? Um, yeah, anyway, there's a documentary. That's weird. A guy made, like, he wanted to make a music festival like Coachella. Um, he had all these people, like influencers, advertise for it, right? So all the top influencers that you already know about, I think this was in, like, 2016 or so, they all advertised for it. All, all the Justin Biebers, and all, they were all going to be at Fire Festival. You got big-time celebrities on the hook. All these people fly out to these remote islands in the Bahamas, and there's nothing there. He made like $100 million in all these tickets, and there was like basically sent people to a death trap. Like there was no water available for them. All the housing, all the tents that they built, like they were half built. The sandwiches were like a piece of one piece of bread and like one piece of cheese, and people took pictures on it, and it was kind of the two edged sword, right? Like he promoted it on social media. People got there who wanted the social media clout, and guess what? Um, they posted on social media that it fell apart. The guy got sued for more than what he made, and it was just like was a terrible situation. Why? Because he tried to gain wealth by a lying tongue, and the very thing that he was doing that looked like it was going to save him and help him was the thing that killed him. That's the book of Proverbs played out in real life. The idea is God uses the, the bad choice we make to be the thing that hurts us. Proverbs 6 says the same thing about sexual immorality. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? What is that talking about? Walking on coal? No. So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold and will give all the goods of his house. All this is in the context of this, verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He'll get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Right? This is the idea of, of a married person saying, you know, I'm not going to be with my wife. I want to be with that person's wife and have sex with somebody else, and then all of a sudden his life falls apart. Right? Even Proverbs 7 talks about an unmarried man who ends up committing sexual immorality with a married woman, and it says he doesn't know. This kid doesn't know when he's doing that. He's walking straight into a trap. Proverbs 7 says, like, an ox is prepared for a slaughter. He doesn't know that it will cost him his life. But you know, because you have the book of Proverbs. But we know when it comes to money or sex or power or anything that, you know, drives people to get what they want or fame, whatever it is, just know that you can avoid the consequences of bad decisions if you simply say, I want to do what God wants me to do and trust him to take care of my desires. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Don't think that God's mocked. 
Don't look at the world and say, I think the, the evil people are winning. They played the system. They figured it out. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. He's never mocked. Not by you, by me, not by anybody else. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. The concept is, uh, what we do has a massive effect on what happens next. The choices we make, we think we get away with, we think it doesn't matter, everything will come back. This is not karma or something like that, this is God. Verse 32 says, the, the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Here's ultimately my biggest concern. It, it, for some of you, it's not that you'll like make a decision today, say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to be a really evil person and test what Pastor John says. Right? That's not really my concern. Most of you are not going to do that. But here's what some of you might do. Nothing. You'll hear this and think, okay, yeah, wow, that was interesting. Like, never thought about that that way. Okay, yeah. What's for lunch? What are we doing for Father's Day? Right. And then you'll forget about this and we'll move on. The complacency of fools. The trap of doing nothing. The complacency of fools. That's what destroys them. The fact that they don't turn. The fact that they don't heed the wisdom and do something about it. That's what destroys them. Not some like activity like I'm going to try to go do something bad. But the fact that they heard sermons and they didn't do anything about it. Let us see. I want you to avoid the trap of doing nothing. That's the complacency of fools. The trap of doing nothing thought that I can listen to a sermon, or I can go to church, or I can go to small groups, and we talk spiritual stuff there, then I go and do my stuff out, out in the world, whatever, and it's just, I'm just complacent. In the Proverbs, there's a guy who's described another character who's complacent. He's called the sluggard, the lazy person. It's just interesting how similar we are sometimes to the sluggard when it comes to spiritual things. Some of, what, some of us are sluggards in real life, like you know, it's summertime, so you're sleeping in until 12 every day. You're playing video games until 2 in the morning, and you are a sluggard if you're doing that, right? So don't do that, right? But most of you aren't like that. Most of you are put together. You're here. You showed up relatively on time. It's all good, right? Um, but listen to this description of the sluggard and see if this has anything to do with the way that we treat spiritual things. Listen to this. Proverbs 26, 13 to 16 says, The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. What does that mean? He says, I'm not going to go do something because if I do something, I'll get in a lot of trouble. I'm not going to leave my house because there's probably a lion out there. So I'm not going to get up. I'm going to stay in bed. Next verse says, as a door turns on its hinges like this, so a sluggard turns on his bed, right? It's like you're sleeping this way, and what does a sluggard do? Then they turn over, right? Then they get tired of that, and they turn over, right? This is describing a person who's sleeping during the day, not like a quick power nap on Sunday afternoon, like, I'm just not getting up in the morning. If you're, if you're dude, whatever. You can sleep in in the summer. It's okay. Just don't be sluggard. Don't be a total sluggard. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Like, he starts an activity, like, putting his hand in the dish. He's like, oh, I don't want to pick it up. Even spiritually speaking, think about how this works out in our spiritual lives. Right? You go through all the trouble of getting dressed, going to church, taking notes. You put your hand in the dish, but you're not willing to pick it up and do something about it. You say, there's a lion in the road. There's, I, I can't do what Pastor John said because, you know, I, I, there's these excuses. Verse 16. There's, here's a real problem with a sluggard. 
the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Is that you? Are you like that? Maybe you're like, I'm not a lazy person, but are, are you spiritually lazy? Or do, you, do you hear the truth? You say, no, 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 no. It's not me. It's not like that. It's not me. The complacency of fools is what kills fools. Sometimes you hear sermons and you think, I'm, I, I want to do something. I plan to do something. Okay, I want today to be different. I want you to, to, to do something about what we're talking about. Because at some point, you realize that no response becomes a response. To say, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to do something about it later. I, yeah, I'll follow God. Yeah, I'll follow God. Like, you keep saying that. If there's no response, there's no life change, there's no repentance, there's no turning. At some point, that becomes your response to God. You're saying no. Going back to that wedding one funny thing about the couple that got married was they did not go out the first time my friend asked this girl to go out. They did not go out the first time. My friend Jordan tried a few times with my other friend Allison. Um, Allison did not say yes the first time. They're not here, so we can talk about them. Uh, but it took a little bit, right? And, and guys, you know that, right? Like, you know, she might not say yes the first time. She didn't say like, no. It was kind of like a, uh, we'll see. Right? If she says no, then stop. Right? But Allison didn't say no. She's I'm not sure right now. Right? Is it a good time? You know, it's a wise thing. You know, she's making up her mind. Uh, she eventually said yes. I think she said yes like the second time. But just you know, and they got married so happily ever after. Right? But ima- just imagine, imagine my friend Allison just never said yes, but she never said no. And he just kept pursuing and pursuing. This did not happen. This is not real life. But just imagine this took place. Imagine. He kept asking her out. He kept saying, oh, we got to go out. Yeah, you know, I really like you. You're a great person, blah, 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 blah. And it was just like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Okay, at what point does that become a no? Right, guys, what is it called if a girl's not responding to you after one or two or three times trying to ask her out? That's called being rejected, okay? It's called being rejected. If you don't know, now you know. If you're doing this, guys, and she keeps ghosting you, you're being rejected. She's just trying to be nice, okay? But at some point, a non-response is a very clear response. Do we understand how that works in real life? Yes, we understand how that works. Here's the thing. The same thing's true when it comes to listening to God's wisdom. If your response is, hmm, maybe, someday, perhaps, I'd like to, that sounds good, I want to, maybe, but you never do something about it, your response is becoming a rejection, slowly. This passage is about people who reject wisdom. I don't want you to reject wisdom. I'm going to pray for you right now that your life does not reflect a rejection of wisdom, but embracing it. Let's pray right now. God, help us with this. I know your word is so clear. We're thankful that it's not all just one style of literature. We're thankful that we get cool passages like this that personify wisdom for us. We're thankful for the wisdom that your word gives to us. We know that's available to us. We're thankful that you want us to follow you thankful that you've never given up on us and you want us to seek you and turn. Pray for those people in this room right now who know they need to turn to you and they've been wanting to, wishing to, planning on, but they haven't done that. Pray that they would turn, find life in what your son did for us. Pray for the Christians who are seeking you to keep seeking you. Pray that they would not turn away 
that they would not also show the complacency of fools, but they would seek to do what's right in every situation, every relationship, every word, every part of our lives. Pray we keep seeking you and doing what's right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.